From the Grand Reading Room in the Nashville Public Library, this is Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist, presented by the Metro Human Relations Commission. Hi, my name is Andres Martinez, and I'm Director of Policy and Communications at Conexión Américas. Welcome to Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist. I'm here with two amazing leaders in the Latino community here in Nashville with... Hi, my name is Anna Escobar. I was born in Colombia, South America, but my family and I have lived here for over 40 years. Um, in 2018, I was elected to be a General Sessions judge and eight months out of the year, I devote my time to domestic violence cases. And I'm Jose Gonzalez, and I'm one of the co-founders of Conexión Américas, and I'm also a professor at Belmont University. I've lived in Nashville for 26 years, originally from Mexico. Thank you so much, uh, Jose and Judge Escobar, for joining me today. I think when we think about ethnicity and race, especially as Latinos, um, it triggers a lot for us. So today we're discussing Chapter 5 of Dr. Kendi's book about ethnicity through uh, the lens of the Latino and the Hispanic community. So for me, I know growing up, it was something that I didn't really notice until I had to mark something on a standardized test or bubble in a response. And it was always, you know, are you Hispanic or Latino? And then the next question would be, what race are you? And that question always stumped me because I thought I had, I had just answered that in the previous question. So, I'll start out with you, Jose. What has your experience been, especially someone who didn't grow up in the United States but grew up in a different country? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great question uh, because um, you know, for for many of us who were born in a different country, we're born in Latin America. We are, when we move to the United States as immigrants. I mean, we, we don't uh, clearly don't don't get that label until we arrive here. Uh, but we are first Colombians, or we're Mexican, or we're Costa Ricans, or what have you, and and of course we're very prideful people. So when we come, it's like that's 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 the heritage and the culture and the nationality that we carry. And we arrive to the United States, and then all of a sudden that's kind of erased because we are all we all become Hispanic or we all become Latinos, right? Or and and, and so like adjusting, adjusting. First of all, learning what that means within the context of the United States, and then uh, adjusting and, and realizing that oh okay, so so really I do have a lot of affinity to people from Colombia. And of course, I know that I have it because I speak the language and you know we have the same skin color, but, but in many instances, it stops there because our constructs and our background and our, our histories are very, are very different. And so this notion of arriving to a new country and everybody gets put in the same bucket, right? In the same place. And, and all of a sudden you have to represent uh, or are expected to represent the voice of all this population it's a, it's a, you know, it's a process that you have to first become aware of it, and then how do you international inter, inter, inter see here's where my Spanish comes in. How do you make that part of who who you are, your identity, and then start playing to that, to that, to that role and to that expectation. Judge Escobar, what was your experience, especially you know having come here at such a very, very, very young age? Yes. So I arrived here when I was six months old. Um, we first went to Rhode Island, but then came to Nashville, and um, we've been here, like I said, most of my life. Um, but when we first arrived, we were one of 
a handful of families that were here. Um, no one spoke Spanish in Nashville, Tennessee. Nobody knew what a Hispanic or a Latino was in, in Nashville. Um, so it has been so interesting to see um, the boom that has happened. I mean, never would I have dreamed that we'd have Plaza Mariachi in Nashville, you know, 40 years ago. Um, my parents did an amazing job of assimilating. Um, somehow my mother figured out what Thanksgiving was and 4th of July. And, and so in my childhood, I never really questioned, you know, what is this? Um, and then on the other hand, um, for Christmas, she also did Santa Claus and baby Jesus, which baby Jesus was the, the tradition in Colombia. Um, so my, my parents, I have to say, did an amazing job of trying to blend in the two cultures. Um, and it's not until more Hispanics came to Nashville that I realized that I was different, really. Um, so I had a very unique experience. What do you, you know, see the, the future of the term? Especially both of you have, have children and who have grown up here. So what, has, what do you think their experiences are? What, what uh, how have they been racialized in a sense uh, growing up here in Nashville? Well, it's very interesting. Um, my son has a very American name. And so a lot of the children that he's grown up with in grade school don't know how to categorize him and have not known what he was. Um, but it's, I think this is a very exciting time in Nashville. Um, last year, we started the Nashville Hispanic Bar Association, and we have about 30 attorneys who are part of that. Um, and when I first started practicing law, maybe there were five. So that I use as an example of how Nashville, is, Nashville Hispanics are embracing the fact that they're Latinos and that they have something to contribute to this community, not as, um, you know, not trying completely to assimilate, but embracing their Latino-ness. And I'm very excited for my son. And I think that the future of Nashville is, is going to embrace that for him. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so my children, of course, were born here. I have two grown children now, college age. And of course, my wife is one of the few native Nashvilleans that still <laughs> yeah. remain around. And so they've grown up in a very, like, Nashvilleist home. And their, their mother is, is from Nashville. And so they were born in Nashville. And so they, they for us, the, the challenge, the intentionality has been to, to, to make sure that their culture, their, their Mexican culture is part of who they are. And they, it's something that they are proud about. Uh, it's all certainly been a challenge to make sure that they are fluent in Spanish, which, which they are, and that they embrace the, the family in Mexico and, and the cultural traditions. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'd say that they are both very comfortable living in both cultures. But uh, I agree with Ana that the, the, there's never been a better time to be a Latino in Nashville because the demographic changes that have occurred over the last 15, 20 years and certainly accelerated over the last decade uh, provide a, a really unique opportunity, a robust opportunity for Latinos to thrive and to prosper in, in all levels, across all levels of society. The, the fact that there is a bar association uh, and a chapter with just Latino lawyers, like uh, 25 years ago when I moved here, for, forget about it, right? It, it, it wouldn't have happened. And so we see that happening at all levels. And so it's, it's a very exciting with the the, the, the growth and of the diversity of the city is certainly something that we, 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 we need to embrace and play up to, 
And um, I, I hope, I'm hoping that both of them will decide to come back to Nashville after college to, 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 make, to continue to contribute to that, to that prosperity and to, that, um, uh, to their, their, their home, which is Nashville. I want to focus on something that you mentioned earlier, how diverse the Latino community is here. I think we just experienced an election, and some people have said, you know, this is the last time where we're going to refer to the Latino vote because it's been so hard to, to predict. And I think it's because they are just now coming to the realization that Latino means so many different things. I mean, we are all categorized in one, uh, under one category, but our experiences, our histories are so different. Uh, can you expand on that? Um, maybe talk about some of the issues that that brings, especially in terms of race in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've had many conversations over the last couple of months uh, because of the election, right, around, uh, around this, this notion that, uh, that uh, everybody gets put in the same bucket. And as I alluded to earlier, it is clear, and, and I, it is clear today that the diversity of thought, right, when it comes to uh, the Latino community is just as diverse as the broader community. We have Latinos who are very, very conservative, and we have Latinos who are very liberal. And so, to put everybody in the same bucket and to say w whether you are, you know, a, a political leader or or the the CEO of a corporation, and you're trying to target this group, you cannot do do it through just one lens. Um, uh, of course, the perspectives of where people come from have a really influence what people think and believe. Uh, you cannot assume that people from uh, any Latin American country are all going to have the same political persuasions, uh, just like you can assume that they have the same religious perce perceptions or persuasions or uh, or, 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 or any of that matter, likings from a, from a marketing perspective, right? And so um, it, it is important that regardless of what role you play in society, if you're in a leadership role, you understand that when you're looking at this population, right, there's levels of education, there's levels of complexity, there's levels of experience and all that, just like it happens for any community, right? All of that, um, uh, needs to be taken into account when you are targeting, reaching, or trying to better interact with this population. Judge Escobar, you've been on the other side of an election. You, you've been a candidate and, and you won and you became Nashville's first Hispanic judge. I saw one headline and then I watched uh, the news segment and it referred to you as Latina. Yes. <laughs> you talk about your experience uh, running for office and being the first here in Nashville. Well, it is a very, very exciting honor that I take very seriously. Um, and so I hope I won't be the last. I hope I've just opened the door for many to follow me. But it was very interesting. I, I have followed Nashville politics um, for most of my professional career. And it seemed like the Hispanic vote was um, one of those things you just checked off your list. And there were what I call the usual suspects of leaders that you had to go see and then they would speak for the community. And so I agree with what Jose said is that I think it's more about issues rather than checking off like I talked to the Latino box. It's more about issues and people are so diverse. Um, having said that, when I was running for office, one of my opponent's uh, campaign manager, their big strategy was to say I wasn't Hispanic enough that I, you know, how could Hispanics vote for me? Because I, I don't know what, I don't, it, it was very offensive because does that mean that I, 
you know, a Hispanic person can't be a professional, um, that I don't wear a sombrero. I mean, what, what is that? What does that mean? So it was incredibly offensive. And I, and I had mentioned to you that I, at that time, didn't really have the words to process what that was really communicating and how that was almost um, perpetuating a um, stereotype that does not really exist. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, one of the things that is most frustrating and infuriating that happens to me is when people say, oh, but you speak English so well, or, oh, but, but you don't look Mexican. Well, what, what is, how am I supposed to take that? What does that mean, right? And, um, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm on the phone talking to people that don't, don't know me or don't know what I look like, and I, you know, I'll call someone and, and it's like, oh, this is Jose Gonzalez calling. No, 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 really, but who is this? I mean, like, what, what, what <laughs> like, that stuff is really, really, um, I mean, it, 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 it's infuriating, but, but I also understand where it's coming from. And so that's why I think that um, organizations like Conexion Americas and so many others that have emerged over the last couple, couple of decades in town, and doing this work of educating the, pop, the broader population about uh, the diversity of this community, the issues of this community, and how to better interact with this community. It's such an important step uh, for any kind of any kind of organization, whether you're on the political spectrum or businesses or faith community, what have you. I want to get into something that's you know relatively new here in the U.S. At least it's the term Latinx, a lot of people have been using it. Uh, a lot of you know, white people have been using it, in my opinion, especially when we were covering the election. You know, they would refer to it as a Latinx vote, or you know, politicians would use it uh, in a sense to not be discriminatory. I know it's meant to be inclusive, uh, gender inclusive, but a lot of us still don't know what it means. It's not used in a lot of you know, Latino countries. What do you think about that issue that issue that we're having about trying to relabel ourselves or trying to make our own label? Oh, man, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask that because I, I, in a sense, let me take a shot at this. I think it's, it's really, a, um, I see some of my colleagues that are the younger crowd, the younger population, who are the ones that are advocating for uh, using the term much more comfortable and an advocates of using the term in a way that the, the, the same, yeah, it is a much more inclusive term. Those of us who grew up in Latin America and who learn our grammar from our abuelitas, right? There are genders in Spanish, Latino, O for masculine, A for feminine, and, and, and that's proper Spanish. And so if you're, you're Latino or you're Latina. And so this, this it, it, it creates a little short circuit in my, in my mind when I hear the elimination of that only because from the perspective, again, I'm bringing the perspective of having been grown up and going to school and learned proper grammar. And so that's a term, like you said, that is not used anywhere else other than just in the United States. I totally understand it. I, I, I it's clearly stuck. I understand why my younger peers are uh, uh, much more comfortable with it. And I, so, so it's not that I'm discomfort I'm not uncomfortable with it. I don't use it just because, again, my, my mental construct is different. Yeah, for me, I think it's something that I, I don't use because I, 
I was also never taught it, and it just seems like something that I have to really know about to use it. I have to really know the background to use it. What, how, how about you, Judge Escobar? Is it something that you come across? Yes. Um, you know, you've heard me today say Hispanic and Latino. I mean, having grown up in the South, um, Latino, Latina it is, a, is honestly relatively new in the South. And then you add the X component. Honestly, I, you know, I hope to make everyone comfortable when I speak. And so if younger generations feel more comfortable with that, then I will use it. But it, it, it is an intentional use for me, um, rather than you know something that's part of my vocabulary. Um, but if it's gonna make people more comfortable, I'm, I'm fine using it. But as y'all both have said, um, it goes back to grammar, really. and. and mm -hmm. Latin almost, right? So, <laughs> so I don't think there was anything intentional, but when you're, trans when you're translating, it does get a little messy um, because, for instance, you said I'm the first Latina judge. Well, I'm actually the first Hispanic judge, I guess. Maybe that's what it is that I use Hispanic when it's a general, but I use that simply as an example that Latinx would be more useful in that situation because of the gender situation. So. I don't know. It would be more perceived as more, <laughs> you know, by some as being more inclusive. Right, uh, right. And again, by, by, by me saying, oh, she's the first Latina judge, like that's not, I mean, that's just, that's my vocabulary and that's my construct right. and I don't right. do it to the, I don't use it to the exclusion of any other right. that's not right. included in that. Yeah, it's, it's an evolving, it's an, I mean, how old is the word Latinx? I mean, it's two, Two, three years old, yeah. and so it's a, you know we're 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 having that discussion for sure. Marketers and and sociologists and you know just we're all having that conversation. I know I've sat around the lunch table at the office and and had discussions of, about what what it means to different people and and why we should use it or not use it. So it's an evolving conversation. <laughs> I want to dig into something that you just mentioned that you're actually the first Hispanic judge. <laughs> I as didn't well. mean to use that to toot my horn, but I was <laughs> trying to give an example of interpretation and translation. Exactly. So <laughs> because you know Hispanic just refers to a language. Mm -hmm. So I mean somebody could from Spain could be Hispanic, um, but not all Latinos speak Spanish, of course right. Brazilians. So not only were you the first, you know, person of Hispanic descent to become judge, you're also the first woman Latina yes. to become a judge. <laughs> yes. so it's, it's an important <laughs> distinction that we, have, that we have to make right. all the time and that confuses us as well because are we Hispanic, are we Latino? I guess right. we're both, but which one are we supposed to use in which situations? It's always difficult. And us. I think that um, came later in the South. I think in New York and California and Texas, you probably figured it all out, but here <laughs> we're still learning. <laughs> one last question I will ask both of you is how can, you know, this, these are conversations about being anti-racist. So how can the Latino community, the Hispanic community here in Nashville and, and across the U.S., how can we be better allies in this fight against racism, knowing that you know, sometimes we may be complicit ourselves in racism. So I think within our community, our Hispanic community, we have our own stereotypes of regarding people from different countries, even regions within that country. And we, we come to the US, it's 
probably best that we start understanding each other and not perpetuating those stereotypes. Um, also, you know, in, in the Hispanic culture, um, affectionate names, nicknames, are based on your appearance or, uh, you know, something about your background. And, you know, looking back at how that affects the community overall, I think that we, we need to, as the book says, be anti-racist, take a more active role to make sure that we are all seen on an equal plane. Um, so that would be my thought. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I, my grandmother's nickname among her cousins was definitely something that referred to her skin color. So I, I understand that. Mm -hmm. What you have to say? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great, great last, last question. And I think it, it really has to start with the recognition that within the own Latino community, we, we bring very, very strong bias towards race and, and ethnicity and class. And, and that's even more so than the United States. Uh, and so not only our societies suffer from, from racism, but also from a lot of classism. And so, so it's like all of that together in a new, in a new country for those of us that come from somewhere else, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot to process. So I, I would say that one of the most important out of, out of the events and the conversations that started this year, uh, or that intensified this year, uh, one important one important step is that we as members of the Latino community have to recognize there's a lot of work to be, to be done amongst ourselves. Uh, a lot to learn, a lot to um, contrast uh, with the experiences of our uh, black brothers and sisters uh, and so that we can become allies, like true allies in the anti-racist movement because uh, we, we have a lot of baggage ourselves. Just like I said, we, we get all put in the same bucket. We, we bring from those buckets that where we come from, we bring you know, someone that grew up in Brazil where there is a heavy uh, presence of, of, of black population, places like the coasts of, of, of Colombia, for example, different experiences, different experiences than those folks that move from Argentina or even those that move from Mexico. And so we, we have to be intentional about learning, understanding, and then like, how, how does that, those realities play out in, in this country where that has adopted us? Uh, it's, it, it, there's, there's a, some, some very intentionality uh, uh, that needs to happen. And so this is, programs like this are, 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 are great beginnings to do that. Well, thank you so much for tuning into our discussion today. We learned a lot about the issues facing the Latino and Hispanic community in terms of you know, the, the categories that we've been placed in and the categories that we're placing ourselves in and what you know, baggage we bring to this, this conversation. So for more information and more episodes, you can go to www.justconversations.org. Just Conversations is presented by the Metro Nashville Human Relations Commission. Executive producers Sarah Imran, Mark Etherly, Barbara Gunlardi, and Bob Farrisey. Directed by Cooper Smith and produced by Alex Bennett, Caroline Pace, and Cooper Smith. Special thanks to the Nashville Public Library, Jenna Schmid, and Mark Crowder. For more information and more episodes, visit JustConversations.org. Follow us on Twitter at JustConversate, on Instagram at JustConversaciones, or on Facebook at JustConversate.